2: Hi, I'm Erin Street,
0: and I'm Stephanie Everett, and this is episode 294 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, Laura and I are talking about how to effectively onboard new employees in your firm.
2: Today's podcast is brought to you by ActionStep, Back Office Betty's Case Text and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. I wanted to chat about some announcements, which is as of the airing of today's episode, we just finished up our second virtual Lawyerist LabCon conference earlier this week with about 70 of our Lawyerist Lab members doing all sorts of fun, interactive learning activities to grow their practices. And we made a big announcement on Sunday night.
0: Yeah, it was super exciting. We have unveiled some new branding images and a new website homepage
2: yeah so after over a decade of lawyerists typewriter font logo and black and red brand colors and other brand elements across our website all of which Sam and his wife Jess invented back in 2008 before I was even involved in lawyerist we have a new logo and a new color scheme and we redesigned the website and all of our branding. All of which is maybe a little inside baseball, but it's pretty fun to be able to put a new stamp on the work we're doing and a new story to tell in the world.
0: Yeah, what really resonated with me was as a company, you just want to think about what your images look like and how they reflect what you as a company are doing. And so I hope if you'll go check it out, if you go to the new homepage you'll notice that there's some navigation in the new logo. And I love that because we are all about guiding lawyers to create healthier businesses. And I think now the the image reflects that.
2: Yeah. And all of the brand theory strategy stuff sometimes feels a little bit overly clever and creative to me in the thinking of brand strategist thought leaders, but Some of the things we really wanted to make sure we were incorporating in our new brand concept included kind of adding the concept of a direction for the future of law practice, making the colors and logo feel more inclusive to a broader set of lawyers around the world who we work with, instilling that sense of community in the story we're telling, maybe in a different way than some of our old branding did.
0: Yeah. what I'm also really excited about is the new homepage. So if you haven't been to lawyerist.com recently, go check it out. I think it helps people who land there understand a little bit more about all the different things that we do. And hopefully it'll be easier for you to find the information you're looking for and kind of gives you some places to start if you're not sure where to start on the
2: site. Yeah. So it's an exciting week for Lawyerist, both the rollout of new branding, new homepage design, and the completion of Our big semi-annual LabCon event, which is definitely one of the highlights of our year as a team, working with our community, getting to spend some really intense one-on-one time with the lawyers in our lab program, helping them figure out the next three to six months of their businesses.
0: So now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with David Hepburn from Action Step, and then my conversation with Laura.
1: Hello, everyone. Uh, today, I am speaking with someone all about training and onboarding new staff, which is so important, especially if your company is expanding. So, welcome to this episode.
3: Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Well, you know, it's interesting. Training and onboarding is such a, a big deal for firms. Obviously, as you said, you know, many firms are expanding right now, and um, you know. Actually, we've seen a lot of firms dialing up and down their team, you know, obviously through the current economic and COVID challenges. But actually, in the last couple of months, we've seen many firms really bringing some new talent into their team as they get back into the groove. But onboarding and training can sometimes be a difficult challenge and a headache for a firm. You know, here at Action Step, for those of you who don't know, we... Have developed a really cool platform that uh, provides a complete practice solution for law firms that includes accounting and GL. But most importantly, it's flexible and easy to use. And because of that, firms can design and automate their ideal processes in order to work the way they want to. And this can really transform your firm. And actually, as you will see, and we talk about today, you know, one of the key enablers for onboarding new staff is that ease of use. And we have over 12,000 users around the world in the U.S., the U.K., Australia, New Zealand. And one of the main feedback points we get is how easy training and onboarding can be. And not done well, training and onboarding can have major downstream impacts on a practice. Morale, staff turnover, productivity can all go the wrong way. And, you know, quality of work, obviously, for your clients is critical.
1: What key aspects should firms be thinking about in respect to training and onboarding?
3: We well, you know, the length of time taken for a new uh, team member to get off on the right foot depends, I think, on some of the following key questions that you guys might want to ask yourself. Does your firm have a clear way of doing things? Are those best practices that you've defined baked into your practice management system? You know, is it easy for your team to follow those processes and get into that rhythm and repeat continuously? And actually, most importantly, from a management perspective for can you monitor and maintain visibility into the processes? And I suppose, you know, in the end... got to ask ourselves in this new economic climate you know can all this be done remotely and if you can answer yes to those questions the process of onboarding new team members is going to be quick and easy and you'll find uh, many ongoing benefits around your quality productivity improvements and probably client satisfaction
1: so once you have those processes in place how does action step and the firms that use action step make sure new employees continue to be successful
3: we know law firms are all unique you know the best ones realize that their processes how they actually do things is actually their intellectual property that's how those firms can price a certain way be confident in generating their target profit margins you know and they can have confidence in a consistent quality of work for their clients you know and technology must support that and enable that consistency so firms no longer want to make do with a system that limits that it takes their process you know an action step helps you systemize and automate your ideal workflow and process and it's flexible and scalable so as your team expands and grows particularly bringing on new team members, you've got a framework in order to achieve that. And it makes for a far stressful onboarding for the team as they join you, you know, because they can conform to the processes that make your firm successful immediately. And they can allow new staff members to worry less about the complicated systems and more about how to contribute new ideas and work towards the firm's goals. It also means too, that from your practice perspective, no one person in the firm is the guardian of how things are done. Your IP lives within the software.
1: Those are all great points. It sounds awesome in theory, but can you give me an example of all of this in practice?
3: Well, you know, one example um, that I sometimes talk about in this respect is a firm called Elder Law of East Tennessee. You know, they've been a customer of Action Steps for a number of years, and we have a detailed case study of how they operate on our website. But, you know, they've used Action Step to really grow their firm. They started at two team members and grew to 20. They are a boutique practice with a very specific type of case and client care expectations, and all of the nuances of how they work are truly baked into the Action Step system, which means that when they onboard new staff and obviously grew from 2 to 20, they had a platform that was easy and intuitive to use and really supported that onboarding activity. And their founder, Amelia Cropwell, um, was able to see the progress of every file, what was going on in her practice. She could see the productivity through a great reporting platform. And she really took control of that firm's long-term journey and actually sold her practice uh, recently. And the new owners, you know, were able to hit the ground running with all of her IP intact. And it wasn't just linked to her and the owner and the partners of the firm. It was actually baked into how they work across their whole organization.
1: Wow, so switching back now to action step. I understand you also have consistently grown your team. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've been expanding?
3: We know we've been around for probably 10 years plus now and we were the first practice management system into the cloud and we've had a really great five or six years in the US market as our customer base has grown and to keep up this year so far it's been extraordinary given the economic climate. You know, we've added 30 new team members to our business this year, many in the USA out of our Richmond, Virginia office. And we've also recently hired two new executives in the U.S. And these two hires, you know, are really going to help us, I hope, take a major step forward in how we grow our customer base in the U.S.
1: You can learn more at www.actionstep.com. Hey, Laura. Hi, Stephanie. I'm excited to chat with you about this subject because we're approaching the end of the year. This is a really good time where people are saying, okay, where do I have too much on my plate? What have I done too much of in 2020 or whatever the year might be? And how can I shift that? And sometimes that ends in a decision of, I've got to hire a new associate. The amount of legal work I'm doing is just too much and there needs to be someone else to take some of that off my plate. But it seems like a lot of attorneys kind of go about this the wrong way and face some common challenges and then can't ever seem to break out of that and always feel like, well, it never ends up being worth it. So I guess I just have to do all the work myself.
0: Yeah, it's so frustrating, especially I feel like I see this a lot in Facebook groups that our t- attorneys are in where they're kind of complaining about an attorney that they work with, maybe a, an associate or a paralegal. And the complaint is always, Ugh, it's just not worth it. And I should just do the work myself. And really frustrates me. I think it's the wrong approach. And I think that if that's been your experience with everyone that you've hired, maybe it's time to look at the source of the problem as you. (laughs) And I say that with all the loving kindness in my heart. But hey, no one taught us how to do this. Remember that's, you know, and so it's not coming from a place of judgment, it's coming from a place of, hey, there's some better ways out there to do it and to approach it. And I've seen attorneys take these tools and use them in a good way and actually have amazing experiences when they hire and train new people.
1: Yeah. And I think what you might have to reflect back on is that maybe it's the process that you're doing wrong and you just keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And that's how you're getting that common result of, well, this never works out. And I've tried it with four different people and I've always gotten the same result. So it can't be me. It has to be the people. And it sounds like it's really more of your process. So where do most Attorneys go wrong? Like, at what point in the process do you start making some of those mistakes that can really play out over the long run? Yeah.
0: And so, a lot of times it happens right from maybe day one or even before day one. So, you've gone through the hiring process, and we've talked a lot of on this show about that. And now you've made the decision to hire someone. Well, now is when the real work begins, and you have to work on a process to onboard and train that new employee, no matter what their experience level will be. I think sometimes we make lots of mistakes in this. One of them is, well, I've hired an experienced person. And so then I don't have to train them. And I'm going to push back on that and say, no, they still have to learn your system and your processes. So right from the decision, you've decided to bring someone on board, and I guess we should even say this, because we're going to talk about this, this doesn't even just apply to employees, even if you're going to work with a contractor or outsource the work, then you have to come up with a plan to intentionally Bring them into your company, into your systems and your processes and your culture.
1: I love that point. It reminds me of something that Pat Lencioni said recently when I was speaking with him. He mentioned, like, we have this tendency to think that people in upper level positions, and you can think of an associate like this because they have some experience, they have the necessary training and all of that. We tend to think that they don't need management, but everybody needs management and onboarding and support. And I think where it's challenging is if you've got to the point where you realize that you're overwhelmed and you need help, it's counterintuitive to everything about that process to say, okay, let me go ahead and invest a ton of time in finding the right person, in making an onboarding plan, in training them, because it's like, well, I already have a shortage of time, so why am I going to invest more? Isn't the point of this that I get some of my time back immediately? And unfortunately, that's just not how it works.
0: Yeah. You'll get your time back eventually but not immediately. And I also love what you said that it's not that you're necessarily a bad person. It's that you have to come up with these processes and be very intentional about how you bring that person into the fold.
1: Yeah. It goes back to this other thing we talk about all the time, which is documenting your systems and processes. Because to you and maybe to your assistant who's been there five years, it can be in your head and you don't have to communicate it and you don't have to explain it, but you will see the weakness in that approach the minute that you onboard somebody new and they're like wait, so how do we communicate? And what do we do during the weekly team meeting? And how do you want me to deliver things? Because you can't just assume that this new person gets your way of doing it and automatically understands it just by starting on day one.
0: Yeah. So the first thing that we want to do is kind of map out what are our goals for the onboarding process. And to me, you know, there's a couple of different things that we want to accomplish during this time. Oh, by the way, like it's more than a day. Let's just go ahead and say that right now. (laughs) I think sometimes attorneys might be like, well, I have their first day planned out and then I just give them a bunch of files and let them go to it. And it's like, okay, um, they probably need more than that. I've read that it can be as long as the first year that you're really on the team and you're really getting comfortable and figuring out how the team works. And once you've seen things, you know, over and over again, But for sure, at least the first 90 days. What's been your experience with that?
1: Yeah, I feel like the first couple of weeks in any new position, whether you're a contractor or whether you're an employee, you're still feeling things out because you haven't learned that team's approach to doing everything, including the work product. So it's really easy to be fooled into this idea that, well, the work product is the same no matter who I hire. They're going to get the thing done and the deliverable will look perfect. But there's also a lot of other things you're learning as you get started, how to communicate effectively and which person do you go to for which thing. And so I feel like a minimum of 90 days. I mean, it might vary person to person. It's possible that at the 6 week mark, your new associate might start feeling like they're really in the swing of things, but there's still potentially, you know, little things here and there that that pop up. But I feel like that's the minimum just to get grounded in the team and in the process. And it's probably much longer for being involved at that deeper level, right?
0: Yeah. And so When we think about onboarding, I think there's a couple of different goals that we're trying to achieve in this time. Obviously, the one that everyone assumes is figuring out what the job is, what are the tasks that need to be done, and what does the work product look like. And so some people will just focus on that. But there are some other things that we're trying to achieve as well. One is just like you mentioned, getting to know the team and understanding the culture and feeling included, feeling like you are part of the team and you're not just this, you know, outsider. It feels like there's been a couple of times where we've brought new team members on and they always start out referring to the team as, well, you, you know, you guys have decided this or you're doing that. And I'm like, you know, it's we now, right? (laughs) Like I actually will call people out on that because it's like this little thing that goes off in my ears. And I'm like, Hey, you're part of this and you get to own this too. We want you to be part of the team. And so there's a lot of different aspects of onboarding that's going on.
1: I'm 100% guilty of that one. I know I did it and I'm not the only one who's done it, but it is true when you start as part of a new team, you are walking this fine line between wanting to have autonomy and then also not wanting to try to change every system or process or own it from day one. And so that's one of those subtle things, you know, you might want to have that conversation with the team member of, okay, here's where your role fits in. And you really do need to think of yourself as part of this team. It is an us thing that we're all working towards the same goal. And there may be some processes or ways of doing things that are already set up when your new associate comes on board, but you want to clarify to them where there is that room for them to suggest things or to maybe question a process that isn't working as effectively. So we've brought on our new associate. We're keeping these things in the back of our mind. What are the core components of that onboarding process that you can't afford to mess up?
0: Yeah, so the first part is to think about what happens before they start. So I love to give a really fun offer, to the job. You know, if anything, it can be on a phone call or a video call is how we do it so that you the person can see you and you can really get them excited about, we really want you to come join our team. And it's not just this letter that's, you know, of course a formal offer letter will follow, but we're really excited. And then once they've accepted, one of the things we've just done, we brought on two new team members this week and so they haven't started yet, but everyone on our team has created little welcome messages, videos or a message like, "Hey, saw you accepted the job, can't wait to get to know you and work with you." And so those are kind of rolling out over a couple of days and and that's fun. Imagine starting and people on the team are reaching out to you that you don't even know yet and they're like, "Hey, can't wait for you to start." Some people We'll send a package to people's home with like a welcome gift. Or maybe I've seen people send a gift to the family of the new team member. Like we're super excited to have you as part of our larger team now. So there's a lot of fun things that you can do to just kind of build that excitement, anticipation, and make the person really feel like they made the right decision to join your team because it's a little scary to change jobs, I think.
1: Yeah. (laughs) you're not sure. You have to think about it from their perspective too. Everything about the interview process and the application process is pretty formal, right? And so- it's also hard to tell what people's personalities are. I mean, I felt like that even when I joined the lawyerist team, I'm like, okay, I don't 100% know how Stephanie and Aaron operate outside of an interview where it's very formal and there's questions and they're trying to you know, qualify you and make sure you're the right fit. So think about it from your new hires perspective, what is going to be a way that you can build that non-formal relationship with them and make them really feel like they're welcomed and they are part of a team. And I think that the team member will really appreciate that um, and put them at ease a little bit because it is hard, whether this is the first job they're taking or whether they're transitioning from something else, it puts them at ease a little bit and kind of reduces some of that anxiety about starting something new.
0: Yeah. And then put yourself in their shoes and anticipate what questions or concerns they may have. And if you're not the real, you know, warm and fuzzy, lovey-dovey type, then maybe there's another team member who could be their buddy or their mentor through this process. But even little things like telling them before the first day, hey, here's where you're going to park if we're showing up in a live office environment. (laughs) Um, You know, here's how we dress. Or by the way, we're going to take you out to lunch the first day, so no need to worry about that, which takes a lot of pressure off because you're like, um, do I bring a lunch? Do we, where do we eat? <laughs> you know, like There's yeah. just like logistics that we need to figure out. And so the more you can do to kind of set that person up so that they're feeling great about their first day, then the easier it's going to be. And you can imitate a lot of these things in a virtual situation too. So I know a lot of folks are bringing on new team members right now. And it might feel a little bit different, but you could send them a gift card and say, we want to treat you to lunch the first day. Here's an app that you can have food delivered and we're going to still connect with you over lunch and you can set up virtual coffees. So now we're kind of moving into their first week. And so we want to make sure that we're mixing up the training time with also culture and team building time. So we'll have times where we need to actually train them on how to do their job. We're going to have times when we train them on how the company works. So boring things like the phone system, or this is how we do zoom calls or whatever it is. So you want to think about all of those aspects of what they get to need to be trained on, but then the fun stuff too, here's virtual coffees that we've set up for you to connect with all our different team members so that you can get to know them. Or if you're in person, well, you know, you're going to have lunch every day, or you're going to have lunch three times this week, whatever it feels like for you But you want to help them create those connections with your team.
1: Striking that balance is so important because any new employee is almost going to feel like you've turned the fire hose on them by default, even if you've been mindful of, okay, we're not going to try to teach them everything during the first week, but there is so much to learn when you are joining a new team, both about the people and the processes and the work product expectations and all of that. So I think another really important thing is to allow that space for people to check in and to ask questions. So one of the ways that we've done it with our own team members is to have them work through you know, a set amount of things or to, say, learn your CRM or to learn this particular software or this process and then come back and say, okay, let's connect. Let's just answer like all seven of your questions together. Let's hop on that Zoom call and have a conversation to walk through it so that – The person that you've hired doesn't feel like they're bugging you and pinging you with emails or slack messages, but that they also have that space to ask questions because it's a lot, right? Like I remember just learning the process for this podcast. My very first day I watched Sam do an introduction, but over the weeks that followed, there was a lot of time for me to learn the actual process and then to connect with him and say, okay, well, what happens if this occurs and how do we do this particular thing? And on what day of the week should I be thinking about that? Because it does take time to learn those new processes so make sure that you give them space to ask questions and it's not at the end of the thing you just taught them it's not like okay now you've had your hour-long training on how we use Clio at the firm what questions do you have because they haven't interacted with it yet. They haven't had time to formulate those questions and figure out, you know, how it's all going to gel.
0: Yeah. I like giving a formal process like every day for the first two weeks, have the person in their day by maybe sending you an email and saying, here's what I did today. Here's what questions I have. And here's what tools I needed that I don't have. And it could be as simple as a pencil or, you know, I didn't have access to this system. It feels like these days getting access to all the different systems, you know, you think you have it all set up and then inevitably you're like, oh yeah, I didn't give you the right permissions. So you can't do this thing. And so giving them a formal way to communicate with that to you is super helpful.
1: Yeah. And I think it's so important to reiterate here that this does not just apply to your Part time or your full time employee hires. It's very easy to start thinking of contractors and freelancers as the producers of things, like they're just there to create the deliverable and turn it in. But you can avoid so much headache by building in that time for anyone that you're onboarding to share the general instructions with them, give them some space and time to digest that, and then come back and ask questions because you will get a better work product and a better working relationship with this person by being specific and intentional about how you build that into the process. Now we're going to take a quick break to hear from some of our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll be talking more about these onboarding and hiring tips to make your new associates working relationship with you a success. Support for today's episode comes from Back Office Bettys, the only virtual receptionist service exclusively dedicated to small law firms that offers a plan with unlimited calls. Their highly specialized service boasts customized call handling, relentlessly friendly team members, and unmatched quality. The Bettys are ready to help you grow your firm even when you're out of the office. Visit backofficebettys.com slash lawyerist to try them out for one week free. Use the promo code podcast to receive $150 off your first month. Looking for a true alternative to LexisNexis or Westlaw? You could save thousands this year if you switched to case text. Over 6,000 law firms from solos to 40% of the AM Law 100 use case text to help them find better results in less time and for less money. For $65 per month, you'll get access to 50 state and federal case law, statutes, and more with zero out-of-plan fees. Try the smarter legal research platform. Lawyerist Podcast listeners can go to casetext.com slash lawyerist to try Case Text for free for two weeks. Supercharge your team with the power of Text Expander. Your team can do more with the same resources. Less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency will have your team feeling like they've hopped off a bicycle and into a Ferrari. Keep the team consistent, accurate, and current so you can work faster and smarter with Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything you type. Create powerful snippets to save you time so that all you type is a short abbreviation and TextExpander does the rest for you. Keep your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent language. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And lawyerist podcast listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more. I think one of the other things that is probably pretty common with attorneys is that they have their own way of doing things, but you can't assume that a new person knows that. So what tips do you have around making sure that you're not just handing someone the files on day one and saying, okay, get to it, and then getting frustrated because it doesn't look like what you thought it would?
0: Yeah, this is something I get on my soapbox about a lot, probably, so a little bit of a warning. (laughs) I think as lawyers, we just assume, and maybe it just as professionals, right? Like maybe this applies to lots of people. You just assume that there's one way to approach the work product that you're doing. So for example, I was a litigator. So whenever I would litigate a case, I started every case with a case outline. To me, it just made sense. I would literally get out like a blank document and say, okay, what are the um, claims in this case? And for each claim, what are the prima facie elements Are you know, what do I need to prove? What's the law that supports that? What are going to be the defenses and what are going to be their counterclaims or in my defenses. And I would just kind of map it out and I would use that as a way to approach my entire case. And so I just thought that's what everyone did. And I have now learned... That's not the case, that lots of people just kind of figure it out as they go, and that would drive me crazy. And same thing, like if I'm going to write a motion, of course, I'm going to sit down and look at my case outline and be like, okay, what does this motion need to include? And then I'm going to write an outline. Again, not everybody approaches it that way. So I think the mistake that we make is we assign work product that we assume because it's like legal in nature, and this person has gone to law school or has a paralegal certificate, that of course they would just approach that work the same way we would, because that's the only way to approach it. How could you possibly write a motion without an outline first, I might say, but somebody else would just, it never occurred to them. So I think really sitting down and also thinking through how you approach the work and actually what is the process going to be. So you do this case outline, well, what's included? So I would sit down with people and say, here's a case outline here are samples, here's how it gets built, here's how I use it in the case, this is why it's so important and this is why I love it and this is why you'll need to do this on every case you work on with me. You know, if we're gonna do discovery, this is my approach to discovery because every attorney approaches discovery very differently. You know, we wanna be really kind and give everything that they ask for. We object to everything and we're gonna make them fight for it. I mean, those are very different approaches. You can't expect the person to just read your mind. You actually have to think through and explain to them, not just how to do the work, but what's the process and and what do you want those steps to look like?
1: As a freelancer, I used to always ask my new clients, not just to give me an example of something that they liked, even if they didn't have something themselves first, I'd say, go find a competitor, go find an example of something that you like as a work product. And then if they've worked with other people, give me an example of something that you rejected, like actually show me a piece of written content that you felt was a disaster or tell me why it was a disaster so that I can know those processes and those no goes too, like the topics that you don't want covered or the things that could really slow down your existing process because you can't assume that people will even get that just from your instructions. And I think this goes to our Final and most important point in onboarding new associates, this is going to take work on your end. Yes, like you mentioned at the beginning, there's going to be a point where you can say, thank goodness this person is onboarded, they get it, they're working consistently, it's saving me time, client satisfaction and service is still being addressed at the quality we expect, but you have to be willing to put in that upfront time, right? And sometimes it might even be more time than you feel like you have right now, but it's really important for it to work out in the end.
0: Yeah. Don't give up on the process. Of course, it's going to take you more time on the front end. And too many people get in this cycle where they're like, oh, this is taking so much time. And then I get it back and then I have to edit it and I have to rewrite it. And I could have just written it myself the first time and I'd be done with it. And it's like, yeah, that might actually be true. And that might be true for the first time that you do it and the second and the third, but I'm hopeful that by the fifth and sixth and 10th and 15th, it completely changes. And it gets to the point where you just give someone the assignment and they can run with it because they know what to expect. And, and the kind of other follow up tip to that is what you said, which is the documenting it, because the more you can have those systems and processes in place, because I already hear you, you're saying to me, Stephanie, but emotion for summary judgment is very complicated and it takes a lot of thought. How could I put that in a system and process? Well, maybe not every single aspect of it, but I bet if we broke it down, A lot of it we could. And then you might say, you know, insert the relevant legal argument here. Or, for example, I used to have a checklist that I would insist that every attorney, associate, junior associate especially, would actually, this was kind of, we weren't as tech savvy as we are now. So they would actually print this checklist. And it would say things like, are the headings in this font and styled this way? Did you check every citation? Has it been blue booked? Have you run through spell check? Did you eliminate all passive voice? Right? Like here's your kind of final proofreading checklist because I'd want to make sure. And it would say things like, does the first sentence of the brief grab the judge's attention and let them know why we win as a reminder, like go back and look, is that a good tight sentence? And if not, then take another stab at it because- I wanna get it in a way where I can take it and then get it to the next level and not just have them rely on me to make those changes. So I had to learn that process. So I was probably in this this camp before where I was frustrated assigning work to people until I learned, oh, I'm the one that needs to change and I need to build these processes to make it easier for the people to work who are working with me to know exactly what I expect.
1: Never underestimate the power of a good checklist. It might seem obvious to you, but it eliminates some of the back and forth questions too. When you're onboarding a new person, they can go through the checklist. And then if they have questions about the checklist, they can bring those up with you. But it also puts them in the position of reviewing their own work and kind of self-managing as they're going through those new processes. So if you've been putting off higher a new associate because you've had bad experiences in the past or you just feel like it's too much and too difficult to give up that control, hopefully you can use some of the tips in this episode to get started.
0: The Lawyers Podcast is produced by Laura Briggs and edited by Christopher Ng. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Well, here are your first two steps. If you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free right now at lawyers.com book. Next, if you're looking for help beyond the book, then let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyers.com community to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.